This show contains descriptions of violent crimes and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. 19-year-old Tova Mubai was reported missing on Sunday, May 14, 2017, by her mother. Two days later, her severely beaten body is found strapped to a wheelbarrow and dumped in a lake close to her ex-boyfriend's house. Nobody knew the extent of abuse that Tova had been the victim of for years. She was scared and she didn't tell anyone. But she kept a diary. And she had a USB memory stick full of pictures of her injuries. This is the sad story of a beautiful young woman who was terrified of what her boyfriend might do to her. But she was also too afraid to reach out and get some help. And sadly, her fear was all too real. Hi, and welcome to True Crime Sweden. I am your host, Pernilla. And welcome to all new listeners. I'm really glad to have all of you here. I also want to say thank you to my latest Patreon supporter, Kelly Jordan. Thank you, Kelly. And thanks to all of you who support me on Patreon. That really helps me with some of the costs for producing this podcast. I'm working on putting out uh, exclusive content on Patreon, and I also have stickers now that I send out to my Patreon supporters. You can check it out on patreon.com slash truecrimesweden. And for those who haven't heard about Patreon, it's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So patreon.com slash truecrimesweden. Thank you. And if you want to discuss the cases I cover, or just hang out with a great bunch of people, please join the True Crime Sweden discussion group on Facebook. It's a closed group so that your regular non-true crime friends won't see your posts. But just ask to be added and we will let you in. Enough of that, and let's get into today's case. This is part one of a two-part story. Tova Felicia Moberg was born on March 31, 1998, to parents Annika and Roger Moberg. She grew up in the small village of Njutånger, that is located in the middle of Sweden, about a two-hour drive north of Stockholm. Tova was into swimming and had been competing for years. She also trained younger kids in the swim team. She had been seeing a man named Billy for three years, since she was 16 years old. Due to her relationship with Billy, she had lost contact with a lot of her friends. Not because she didn't want to keep in contact with her friends, 
but because Billy wouldn't let her see her friends. But we are going to get into that more later. We're going to start off on the day when Tova's family realized that she was missing. Tova's mother, Annika, woke up at 6 a.m. on that Sunday morning, May 14th, 2017. And she immediately realized that she hadn't gotten a call from Tova to come pick her up from the party last night. They had agreed on that Tova should call her mother when she was ready to go home, and Annika would come and pick her up. When Annika wakes up at 6 a.m. and she hadn't gotten a call from Tova, she runs out to the small house in their yard where Tova lives, but she's not there either. She tries to call Tova several times, but Tova's phone goes straight to voicemail. At about 9 a.m., Annika decides to drive out to Billy's house to see if Tova is there. Her husband, Roger, Tova's father, follows her out there, but in his own car. When they get there, the place is empty and quiet. They knock on the door several times. They even honk the horn of their cars to get someone inside the house to react. When they don't get a reaction, they break a window on the terrace to gain entry to the house. I guess they are terrified that Tova is in there and might be hurt. They had seen before what Tova's boyfriend, or I should say ex-boyfriend, was capable of. They don't find anything in the house. Nobody's in there. And they see no signs of a struggle. But they want to talk to Billy, so they drive to Billy's father's apartment, thinking that Billy might be there. And he is. He obviously rode his bike there and arrived about 8.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, after a party night. His bike ride is about 10 kilometers, or 7 miles. And his family later testifies that he has never, ever ridden a bike to their house before. He always got a ride from one of his friends. The reason that Billy gives to coming to the apartment that early on Sunday morning was because he felt like taking a bath. The house he stays in only has cold water, and he felt like a warm bath, he says. He tells Tova's parents that she came by the house last night, but that she was picked up by someone. He doesn't know who, but she was picked up at about 11 p.m., and he hadn't heard from her since. Tova's mother calls around to Tova's friends, and both parents do what they can to try to find out where she is. But at 14.34 p.m. on Sunday, May 14th, 2017, Tova's mother, Annika Mobai, calls the police and reports Tova missing. She tells the police during the call that she gave her daughter Tova a ride to the central parts of Forsha the day before, on Saturday, May 13th. Forsha is a small town close to their home. Tova was going to meet her friend Emma and the two girls were going to go to a party that night. But when Tova's mother Annika calls Emma on Sunday, Emma tells her that Tova never came to her 
and she never attended the party. Instead, Tova went to see her ex-boyfriend, Billy Fagerström. The police takes this disappearance seriously right away, and they immediately get to work on trying to locate Tova. Tova's parents give the police permission to give a photo of Tova to the media. At 4 p.m. that same Sunday afternoon, the police orders the phone company to release the location of Tova's phone. The phone pings off a tower that covers a large area, but that area includes her ex-boyfriend Billy Fagerström's house. They can also see that her phone was turned off at 2.20 a.m. on the night between Saturday, May 13th and Sunday, May 14th. The police's first visit to Tova's ex-boyfriend Billy's house was conducted in the afternoon on Sunday, May 14th. They talked to him and questioned him about what he knew. He was not a suspect at this time. They were just trying to locate her. The police made several more visits to the boyfriend's house during that afternoon. The ex-boyfriend Billy Fagerström and two of his friends, who also is at the house, got questioned each time. The police soon realize that their stories don't add up. So at 1 a.m. on the night between Sunday and Monday, Billy and his two friends are taken in for questioning. In the first questioning that took place at Billy's house, Billy says that Tova was at his place on that night of Saturday, May 13th, also present were his two friends, Jimmy and Fredrik. He says that Jimmy and Fredrik left the house for about half an hour, sometime between 11 p.m. and midnight. And during that time that they were gone, Tova was picked up by a car outside his house. This doesn't fit in with what they already know. They know that Tova spoke to her friend Emma sometime between 1.15 and 1.30 a.m. and that she then said she was at Billy's house. And Tova's phone was shut off at 2.20 p.m. under the same cell tower as Billy's house. Before Billy is brought in to the police station, he calls the police tip line that Sunday evening at 8.43 p.m. That call lasts for 22 minutes. I've read the transcripts from that call, and he keeps repeating another story than the one he told the officers earlier that same day. Now he is saying that Tova left sometime between 12.30 and 1.30 a.m., and that she was picked up by some foreign guy named Karim or Kamir or something like that. He says that she went online uh, and on a Facebook group called Who's Driving, she found this guy that agreed to pick her up. He also says that he asked her to walk the 200 yards to the road to be picked up there because he didn't want any random people driving into their yard because he had a lot of cars and stuff that people might steal. He is also speculating about what might have happened to her 
that she might be locked up in the house somewhere or maybe the guys in the car made her overdose on something. You know by now how I feel about people speculating right after someone goes missing. I just don't believe that you want to do that when a person that you care about is missing. Unless, of course, you are trying to point the police in another direction than yourself. When they question Jimmy and Fredrik, their stories don't add up either. Jimmy says that he and Fredrik left at about 11 p.m. to go buy something to mix with the vodka and also to buy cigarettes. He says that Fredrik drove the car because he himself had lost his license due to a DUI the year before. He continues to tell the police how they went back to Billy's place after going to the convenience store and then they left again at about midnight to do some cruising in a close-by town. Fredrik tells another story. He starts with telling the police that he lives in a camper on Billy's property and that Jimmy rents a room from Billy. The three of them hang out quite a bit. On Saturday, May 13th, they started drinking at about 7 p.m. And Tova arrived sometime between 9 and 10 p.m. He then says that he and Jimmy left at about 10 or 10.30 p.m. to go into town to cruise around. They came back to the house at about 1 a.m. and Tova wasn't there then. He also says that he and Jimmy got a ride from his other friend Anton and his girlfriend. As you can hear, Fredrik gives one story and Jimmy another. The police detective that is questioning Fredrik tell him that Jimmy had a different story about that night. He then tells the detective that he isn't lying and that he doesn't know why Jimmy would tell him something else when this is what happened. He again states that he wasn't driving himself. The detective pressure him a bit more about lying and that it is important to tell the truth and so on. Fredrik then starts telling him the real story. First of all, he says that Billy asked him and Jimmy to tell the version Billy presented to them to the police. Billy said to them that he was so worried that he would become a suspect and just wanted to be sure to have a solid alibi. Then he tells the police what really happened. First of all, he says that he and Billy went to pick up Tova at the place her mother had dropped her off at. And he, Fredrik, was driving, even though he was drunk, but he didn't want to say that at first, of course. When they got back to the house, he sent a text to his other friend Anton and asked him if he could pick him up. This text is sent at 10.02 p.m. Anton arrives after about five minutes to pick up Fredrik. Jimmy is already in the car. He was never in the house with uh, Billy and Fredrik in the first place. They go to the close-by town and cruise around, and then they go to another friend's house to sleep. 
Frederick also tells the officer that Billy had asked him and Jimmy not to come home that night because he was having a girl over. Fredrik got back to the house at about 12 noon on Sunday, May 14th. This puts everything in a different light. The police changed the charge from a missing persons to an abduction, and they put Billy, Fredrik and Jimmy under arrest. It's now Monday, May 15th at about 4.30 a.m. On Monday, May 15th, at about 7 a.m., the police start to search Billy's house and the surrounding areas with the help of a dog. The dog alert them to blood on the ground outside. There's only a small amount visible, but when they move the gravel aside, there's a larger spot underneath that someone had tried to cover up. They find even more blood leading down to the close-by lake. And the police decide to call in divers, and they arrive later that same day. At 11.05 p.m. on Monday, May 15th, they find Tova's dead body. She is found about 20 yards from shore, tied to a wheelbarrow and weighed down with a rim from a car tire. There are tire tracks from the wheelbarrow and shoe prints found on the bottom of the small lake leading out to the place where she was found. The police decide to release the two friends of Billy's and Billy himself is now charged with the murder of his ex-girlfriend Tova Mobay. Tova's father Roger finds a diary and a USB memory stick underneath Tova's bed in her parents' house, and he hands it over to the police. The diary contains descriptions of several assaults by Billy, and also several threats. The USB memory stick contains pictures of Tova's injuries. In one of the first questionings with Tova's mother, Annika. Annika tells the police about an incident back in March when they reported Billy to the police after he punched Tova in the face. It was on Friday, March 17, 2017, and Tova's father was up north skiing with some work friends, and her mother, Annika, was out having dinner with some friends, and Tova was hanging out with Billy. Annika called Tova to ask her if she could drive her home from the restaurant, and Tova said she could. A little side note here. In Sweden, the limit for driving under the influence of alcohol is very low. It's 0.02%. If you have more than 0.02%, you risk going to prison for up to six months. The next limit is 0.1%. And if you're higher than that, you risk going to prison for up to two years. Each year, about two and a half million random tests on drivers are performed for alcohol, and about 12,000 tests on suspicion of drugs. 
Each year, about two and a half million random tests on drivers are performed for alcohol, and about 12,000 tests on suspicion of drugs. The Swedish police has the right to stop anyone at any time and ask them to take a test. You blow into a machine that measures your alcohol level. You get the numbers on the screen right away. If your result is higher than 0.02%, you have to leave your car and go to the police station and get a blood test done. We are about 9 million people in Sweden, and with the 2.5 million random tests every year, you just don't drink and drive. Some people might have one glass of wine or one beer at dinner if they are going to drive two to three hours later. But most people I know, they wouldn't even have that one glass if they knew that they were going to drive later. Now, back to the story. Tova goes to pick her mother up and drives her home. She goes inside to get something, and then she's going to go back to Billy's house. Annika told her not to stay too late because she had swim classes the next day. Tova was teaching several swim classes for younger kids on Saturdays. The next morning, Tova texts her mom at about 7 a.m. saying that she hardly got any sleep last night and that she's not going to go to the first class in the morning. Tova is then in a small guest house on her parents' property that she lives in. Her mother explains to the detective that even though Tova was at Billy's house the night before, they both came home to sleep in Tova's place most of the time. At about 10 a.m., Tova comes in to her parents' house to use the bathroom. Her mother is then in the kitchen. When Tova is on her way out again, her mother calls her back to talk to her about the swim class that she missed. When Tova walks into the kitchen, her face is swollen and blue. Her mother is shocked by the way she looks, and she goes closer to get a better look at her face. She asks Tova what had happened. Tova gets really stressed and upset, and her eyes start tearing up. She says that I have to get back out to Billy right away, otherwise he will know that I told you about it. Annika continues to tell the police that she said that she had to talk to her later, and that Tova shouldn't stay the night at Billy's. Tova then says, you cannot tell anyone about this. Not a single soul. Annika states that Tova looked really scared and that she had tears in her eyes. She also told her to come straight home after the swim classes so that they could talk then. Tova walks out and shortly after Tova and Billy leaves in Tova's car. Annika then tells the detective that she called 11414, which is the non-emergency number to the police, to ask them what she should do. She also called her husband. After that, she noticed that Tova's bag with her swimsuit was still at home, so she suspected that Tova never went to the swim classes at all. 
She drives into town and goes into the place where the swim classes are held. But Tova is not there. She then texts Tova, and she is really careful about what she's writing in case Billy would read the text. But she says in the text that she needs Tova to come home. She then calls her husband again and asks him if she should drive out there and get her. But he doesn't want her to go alone. Finally, at about 5 p.m., Tova comes home. Annika and Tova sit down to talk, and Tova tells her mother that it was Billy that had hit her. She was scared and upset, and said that she just wanted it to end. Annika tells Tova to text Billy and tell him that it's over between them, and she does. Annika also says that we have to report this to the police. Tova doesn't want to do that because she's so scared, but Annika insists. Tova was really scared that night, and when Billy texted back that he wanted to come by to talk, she got even more scared. Tova and Annika decided that Tova should sleep in the main house to be safe. But Tova was so scared that Annika had to go with her out to the guest house to get some of her things. She wouldn't go there alone. Annika took pictures of Tova's injuries the first three days to have as evidence later. But on the second and third day, Tova gets irritated and says that she has taken pictures herself. I'm not stupid, you know, she says. I've done it every time. This makes me so sad. She's 19 years old, and she's documenting the injuries she receives from her boyfriend's violent behavior. This was all documented on that USB memory stick that I mentioned before. The one her father found underneath her bed, and it contained several photos of all the injuries he had caused her. And Tova also tells her mother that this last injury to her face was caused by Billy hitting her in the face while they were in the car together. He was jealous about something. Billy would later claim that she got this injury to her face because she pushed him and he pushed back and then she fell on a piece of furniture. Billy was very controlling of her. She could only have female friends on Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat, and he sometimes demanded to look through her phone, and she had no way of saying no, because then he would hit her. The first week after the assault, either Annika or Roger was with her daughter all the time. They drove her to school and they picked her up. They made sure that she was never alone at home. On Tuesday night, when Tova was teaching her swim class, her mother stayed and waited in the cafeteria. During that hour, Annika, the mother, decided to call Billy's mother and tell her about what had happened and inform her that they had reported it to the police. But it only takes a few minutes after that call before Annika gets a text from Tova who asks why she had 
to tell Billy's mother. Billy's mother obviously called Billy right away and he texted Tova and was angry about it. Billy contacts Tova later again that night and says that he is going to commit suicide, that he has nothing to live for anymore. Annika then calls Billy's mother again, but this time her husband, Billy's stepfather, answers. He says that Billy's mother is too upset to speak to her, and he continues to say that they are just kids. Can't we just meet and talk this through instead of getting the police involved? Tova's mother says that she doesn't want to talk. She just wanted them to know that Billy is threatening to commit suicide and that they should talk to him. I've also gone through the questioning of Tova's friend, Emma. She describes how Billy controlled everything Tova did. Tova and Billy started dating when Tova was in ninth grade, and he had always been that controlling. He didn't allow Tova to see Emma or any other friends outside school. And he didn't allow her to have any male friends at all on her social media. They texted back and forth all day when Tova was in school. And she often cried in school about how hard the relationship was. She also showed Emma bruises several times. But she also explained away what he had done. Like, I said this and that and that made him upset. And I shouldn't say things like that because I know it upsets him. She puts the blame on herself instead of on him. Emma also tells the detective that both Tova and Billy were doing drugs, mostly smoking pot, and that Billy threatened to tell Tova's parents about it if she didn't do as he said. I just want to add here that smoking pot is a big deal here in Sweden. No one would ever accept that their kids were smoking pot, and it's also very illegal. Tova was smoking pot three to four times a week, according to Emma. It helped her to relax and to get some sleep. Billy was smoking almost every day, and he was also on other things like pills and stuff. Tova told Emma that sometimes he got really aggressive when he was high. He usually pushed her into a wall or something, but sometimes he would beat her and try to strangle her. Emma told her several times to break off the relationship, but Tova said that she loved him and that they had really good times too. But other times she said that she wanted to break it off but she was afraid of what might happen then. Emma also told the detective that even though Tova and Billy broke up in the middle of March, they still slept together every now and then. The next person the police question is Tova's childhood friend, Moa. Moa tells the detective that about five or six weeks before Tova gets killed, she and another friend, Natalie, went to the police to get advice on how to get 
Tova out of this toxic relationship. They got the advice to talk to either Tova's parents or to some other grown-up. The police also questioned Natalie and another friend, Viola, two friends of Tova's. They all paint the same picture. They were really close friends until she met Billy, and then she couldn't hang out with them anymore. The girls did reconnect in the spring of 2017 after Tova and Billy broke up, and they were really happy about having Tova back in their lives again. Tova's friend Viola talks about an incident that happened shortly after Tova had met Billy. Tova and Viola went downtown after school and walked around. All of a sudden, Tova turns and runs away. Viola doesn't understand anything, but shortly after, Tova calls her and says that she saw Billy further down the street and that she was not allowed to be downtown. Tova was 16 at this time. But now back to when the police questioned Tova's friend Moa. When she comes in to be questioned, she brings a USB memory stick with her, containing a text conversation between Tova and Billy. Tova told her to hold on to it, and if anything ever happened to her, she should give it to the police and tell them that it was Billy who did it. This memory stick contains a conversation between Billy and Tova. They sometimes text it in an app called Telegram. This is an app that erases all conversations about 30 minutes after they are finished. And it's used by a lot of people who do shady things. If you screen print a conversation, the other person will be able to see that you did that. So on this occasion, Tova's friend Moa took pictures with her phone of Tova's screen so that Billy wouldn't know that they were saved. The reason Moa and Tova did this was to have proof if something happened. Moa, of course, didn't think she would ever have to use them, but she saved them anyway. This texting took place at 2 p.m. on a school day, and Tova and Moa are sitting in school when the texting takes place. And to make this a little easier to understand, Billy demanded that Tova answered his messages immediately, or else he would get really upset and accuse her of cheating. He also didn't allow her to walk around and to talk to people during recess. She was supposed to sit alone with her phone. This is part of that conversation. Billy writes in all caps, Why didn't you answer me about what you were doing? And after that, there's about 20 question marks. Tova texts, I am not and have not ever been cheating. 
Billy then writes about 20 to 30 question marks and exclamation points mixed. Tova answers, I don't know, because I'm not doing anything special. Billy then texts, It took you 40 years to answer, you cunt. Billy again, You are not supposed to walk around. Tova answers, Sitting here alone, watching Netflix. Billy, in all caps, You are finished soon, whore. Tova then writes, I can't take this anymore. I haven't done anything to deserve to die. Billy, yes you have, you cunt. Tova again. What did I do? Billy, if you get threatened with it and still don't take it seriously, then you deserve it. See you. Tova, I do take it seriously. Billy then says, You can take your opinion and shove it up into your public area for dicks. Tova, But I haven't done anything wrong since the last time you punished me. Billy, You deserve nothing but fucking shit. Billy continues, And when it's your birthday, I'm gonna spit right in your face. And he continues even more. On your graduation, you are going to walk around and talk to everyone. And you are going to get beaten so bad that night. And I decide when you can talk to people. And he continues even more. Don't think that I'm not serious about your graduation. Tova writes, please stop. And Billy again. You are going to obey me 100%, otherwise you are dead. Tova writes, my class starts in 20 minutes. I don't want to come over today. I haven't done anything to deserve to die. I have told you everything you wanted to know. You have to calm down. Billy answers, you don't want to come here today? And he ends it with, a, with six smileys. You know that one that laughs until it cries. And after that he writes in all caps again. You are fucking coming here as soon as school is out, I say. Tova then writes, please calm down. Billy writes, decide now whether you are coming or not. Otherwise, I'll hide in your guest house, you cunt. And he continues. You should be glad if you get to live. And you should be glad if you get to keep your money. When the detectives confront Billy with some of the evidences, he comes up with the most unbelievable explanations for them. For example, the conversation you just heard. He questions the authenticity of it. He says that anyone can create an account and name it Billy, and then start writing with Tova. He also asks the detectives who the friend was that saved the conversation. 
And when the detective answers that it was Moa, Billy replies with, She's the biggest bullshitter in town. I cannot believe that you take her word over mine. Another example is when the detectives read from Tova's diary. Billy says that it must have been Tova's parents who wrote that. The detectives then ask him if he really thinks that her parents, when they are in mourning, should do something like that. And he answers, yes, they definitely would. When the detectives confront him about the USB memory stick containing pictures from several different occasions that also corresponds with the diary entries, Billy's reply is, her mother probably took those pictures. The detective then says, did her mother also hit her to make those bruises on her? And Billy then replies, You don't even know if they are real bruises. They could be fake and made with some kind of makeup. Billy is obviously in some state of denial. He won't admit to anything at all. This is where we're going to leave off for this episode. In the next episode, you are going to hear more from the police interrogations with Billy and some more about what they believe happened that night. I'm also going to read some parts of Tova's diary, so don't miss part two. But before you go, remember, there's a fun fact about Sweden in the end of this episode. But before we get to that, I just want to thank some people who took the time to rate and review the show on iTunes. From the US, thank you to Lucky Jean, Tay Meister, Only in My Dreams, Jane in Santa Monica, Sharon F., Jacqueline Powers, JLR, Determined to Make Change, Tiger Blood Kitten 1, Stephanie L., Amelie, and finally Jenny from the Wife's Tale podcast. Thank you. And from the UK, thank you to Betty Pop, Hales UK, Alex Stone 87, Claire Mix, and Mr. Hale. And from Australia, thank you to Southern Nomad, Remy 1AU, and Kitty Mayhem. And from Canada, thank you to the Whining About Crime podcast. And from Ireland, thank you to Fairwater Woman. And finally, Thank you to Sailing Soul 19 from Poland. Thank you so much for taking the time to rate and review the show. It really means a lot. And it makes me so happy to read all your kind words. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. And now over to this episode's little fun fact about Sweden. I asked in the True Crime Sweden discussion group on Facebook about what everyone wanted to hear about in the fun facts section, and I got so many great ideas. Today's topic was suggested by Catherine Buchanan, and it's about the dollar horse and its origins. Thank you, Catherine, for suggesting this topic. The dollar horse got its big breakthrough back in 1939 in New York, 
when the Swedish part of the New York's World Fair placed a huge dollar horse in front of the Swedish pavilion. It was a success. The year after, in 1940, over 20,000 dollar horses were made and shipped to the US. That was a huge amount back in those days. But if we look back even further on how the dollar horse came to life, we find that the relationship between humans and horses go way back. Horses were a big part of the farmer's life and was also thought to be a divine creature if you look into the old Nordic mythology. And back in the 17th and 18th century, the men working in the woods used to carve horses in the evenings to bring back to their children to play with. From the 19th century, you were able to buy the dollar horse in small villages around Mora in Dalarna. But it was in the 20th century that it became a tourist souvenir and genuine artwork. One of the companies that makes them is called Nils Olsson Hemslöjd, and that company was founded in 1922 and is still run by the same family. The horses are still hand-painted, and that is one of the reasons why they are so expensive. The factory is located in Nusnäs, outside Mora in Dalarna. I've been there, and it's quite amazing, and something I would really recommend you to visit if you ever come to Sweden. You can watch the talented artists paint the horses, and of course you can buy dollar horses, dollar pigs, and dollar roosters in the gift shop. The most famous dollar horse is of course the one from Mora, the red one, the one I have on my uh, logo. And then there's the grey dollar horse. That one is from Rättvik, the town that I used to live in. And the purple one is from Born, outside of Rättvik. Kind of funny name on a small village, Born. My sister's husband is from Born, so he can actually say that I'm born in Born. Oh, sorry for that lame joke. The largest dollar horse in the world is located in Avesta. It's also in Dalarna County, but a little further south than Mora. That horse is 13 meters high. That is about 42 feet and 8 inches. And if you wonder about my logo and how I made that, it's actually a blanket that I've got with a large dollar horse on it. And the hand holding the knife is my 16-year-old daughter, Amanda's hand, because she had the best nails. The knife is one from my kitchen with some fake blood on it. I think it turned out great, and my daughter is joking about how her hand slowly is becoming famous. Well, I don't know about that. Well, that's it for today. I'm going to try to get part two out as soon as possible. Thank you again for listening, and I see you next time. Goodbye. Hey, Doa.